This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. In general, points are kind of worth somewhere in the one to two cent range. So if you're getting a 100,000 point signup bonus, that could be like a thousand to $2,000. Domestically, as an example, most of the airlines, you could probably take a domestic round trip ticket for 25,000 points. So a 100,000 point signup bonus could take your family of four anywhere in the US. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about how we can travel cheaply or free with credit card points. According to MarketWatch, in the second quarter of 2021, credit card debt increased by $17 billion quarter on quarter to $790 billion in the United States. And the average American family has over $6,000 in credit card debt. So if credit cards are so dangerous, why are we even talking about them today? Well, I believe a lot of things can be dangerous. Cars, for example, the trampoline I just set up, or uh, horses. But if we learn to control these things, man, can they be fun. So to help us tame the wild horse that is credit cards, I've invited Chris Hutchins on the show today. Chris Hutchins is the host of the All the Hacks podcast. It's a podcast about upgrading your life, money, and travel, all while spending less and saving more. He's also an avid travel hacker, having amassed over 10 million points and miles and traveled to 60 plus countries around the world. When Chris isn't helping others optimize their finances, he's spending time with his wife and newborn baby in California. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about these 10 million points. When did you first realize the potential of travel rewards points? So I think it was, you know, my dad has always been a traveler as well. And so I I put together a slideshow recently for work and I was like, dad, do you have pictures of me as a kid? And I was like, they're all on airplanes. Even before I, I cemented these memories, we were traveling as a family and my dad did a lot of business travel and racked up points, but it didn't really click for me until college when I opened up a, it was a United credit card and I went on a trip with a bunch of friends in college to Cabo and I was like, I used points and I didn't pay for it. Everyone else was like saving for their trip. And I was like, yeah, I got this trip for free. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a world I've never heard of. And from there, it just kind of went crazy. And I, I realized that I'd, every time I was at dinner, I would say, let me pick up the check. You guys can all just pay me. And you know, I did everything I could to rack up the points. And it's kind of been a little bit like that for you know a couple decades since. And you have been with your wife for a while now. Has she always been into this too? Or do you manage all of the details? Yeah. So we started dating almost 15 years ago, or maybe 17 years ago at this point, back in college. And she didn't start out into this, but it's gotten to the point that, you know, there have been moments where I've kind of gotten a little lax or lazy in terms of 
picking the absolute best card. And she's like, whoa, 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 we're supposed to be using the Chase Freedom this month. They've got the 5X bonus at, uh, you know, warehouse stores like Costco. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm so sorry. So I think I probably pulled her into the dark side. And now she kind of deeply lives there with me. And I probably am the person who manages the usage of the points more, you know, getting into the details of what's the best way to use this to go on this trip. But when it comes to picking the right card and, you know, optimizing there, I think she's kind of come down with me and and had gotten into it as well. It's so funny because Nicole and I sometimes often don't agree on financial things, but this is always something that we come together on because I don't mind optimizing things and she loves travel and fun. And it's just one of those things that uh, we come together on. So you've traveled to over 60 countries now. What's been your favorite destination? It's really hard to pick just one, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there's different experiences in all these different countries. I think it, to highlight a couple, like maybe maybe by continent, you know, we were lucky before the war to spend about three weeks in Syria. And I am, you know, for the sake of the world, like just hoping that one day, you know, Syria comes back to be a place people can visit because the people were amazing. The food was amazing. The culture was amazing. So that was one that, you know, is very unhelpful to people listening because I I wouldn't recommend visiting right now. But one that actually is probably more accessible despite the long flight than many other countries in the continent is South Africa. And I I put a, a strong recommend there. There's an amazing wine country. There's a beach. There's, you know, a safari. There's, you know, if, if you're new to travel, you know, it's a very English-friendly country. I think South Africa is amazing. You know, as long as we're going going far away, I'll throw Australia in the ring because I just didn't understand it. When I, when I went to Sydney and Melbourne, I asked people, I was like, why has the whole world not moved here? Like, it seems like this is the most ideal place. And the only answer I could get from people was, well, everyone's afraid to move too far away from their family. So they, they haven't moved here yet. But man, Australia was such a cool country. What made Australia so great? Just the weather, the beaches? Yeah, I mean, all of that, the food, I think I have a special place in my heart for all different kind of Asian cuisines. And in the US, you know, you get a a good mix. And in San Francisco, we get a lot. But, you know, there aren't a lot of Malaysian restaurants or Indonesian restaurants. And Australia had kind of the melting pot of Asia when it came to cuisine and culture, but felt like you were just at home in terms of the ease of getting around, the language, the country is beautiful. Like you could go on a run along the coast in Sydney and be like, feel like you're on vacation every single day. So I was uh, fortunate to go for on a very affordable trip because uh, I was with a friend and we were speaking at a conference, but my wife didn't. So that one's been hanging over my head for a while because I, every time I'm like, oh, Australia is amazing. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> How was that trip that you went on without me? Right. Uh, so, so it's on the short list of places to go once the world, once it opens back up, because you know, I'm really, really excited to go back and I, I owe my wife a trip to, to kind of let her have that experience as well. So when you say you travel for cheap or nearly free or free, what's covered with these trips? Is it the flights? Is it the food? What is it? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about ways to optimize, I'm trying to get the most out of my points and the best places to do that are on flights and hotels. And depending on where you're going and whether you care about a five-star hotel or not, or you want to fly in business class or not, or you want to travel domestically, you can kind of tweak the, the way this whole process works. But yeah, for me, when it's, when it's free, 
I'm talking about the flights in the hotels and, you know, we like eating street food. So I'm not trying to optimize for, for like the low cost meals we're having when we're in other countries, but I do, I mean, there's no better feeling than leaving a five-star hotel, having like the most amazing experience that feels like a second honeymoon. And then at the end, they're like, well, you did get that one drink at the bar. So your total bill for five nights is like $25. <laughs> and, and it's just incredible. And then you fly home and you're like, well, we didn't pay for that flight either. Oh my gosh. So that that's the way that I think points get the most value. And then we just pay for, you know, public transit and food and stuff while we're there. We experienced something similar. We went through this process and we were able to pay for a $6,000 all-inclusive family vacation to Cabo. I think it was in 2018 and the final bill was about 300 bucks. So it was flights, massages, hotels, all sorts of things. And it was just such a satisfying moment to be like, we love the trip and it was only $300. So $25 is even better. I like that. (laughs) So... You had a situation, this is very unique, I think, you had a situation happen with your wedding video and points. Can you tell us about that? Anyone listening that's married or ever even looked at wedding photography or videography, when we first started the process of our wedding, and you know, we got married somewhat recently out of college, I was blown away at how much it costs to hire someone to make a video for your wedding. And I had talked to some friends who had done this, and I looked at their videos. I was like, wow, these are amazing. So I reached out to one of them. And I want to say it was like $12,000. And and I can only imagine it's gone up from there. And this was a a high-end video company, but I was pretty naive at the time. I was like, oh, this is the best video of anyone's wedding I've ever seen. Let's reach out to them. Of course it was expensive. And I got to know the woman running the company. And the pricing came. I was like, oh, yeah. So this is totally not possible. But we ended up staying in touch. This was back in the day we were on like Gmail chat. And, you know, we were talking from time to time. She was like, oh, did you ever figure this out? I was like, no. And we were talking about our honeymoon. I was like, yeah, we're going to the Seychelles. And we were using points. And she was like, oh my gosh, I have always wanted to go to the Seychelles. And by the way, I'd never even heard of the Seychelles. I think our our goal for our honeymoon was like, what's the most exotic place that you can go to? And it basically came down to Bora Bora, the Maldives and the Seychelles. And I was like, well, the Bora Bora is close. You know, it's like an eight hour flight from LA. So it's like, let's skip that. And then the Maldives, there's not as much to do. You're just on a hotel island. So I was like, let's try the Seychelles. And she wrote back, so jealous. She was like, I've always wanted to go. It was totally incredible. I'd really love to go there. And I was like, hmm. I looked and I was like, man, I just booked this trip for us. And the flights to the Seychelles were very expensive. I want to say they were somewhere on the order of $10,000 round trip in business class. But we'd only used like 120,000 miles a person, which was a great deal. And it just clicked to me that I was like, wow, I think our flights were like, close to $10,000, $12,000. That's the cost of your services. And I said, well, if you're really interested in going to the Seychelles, what if instead of paying for the wedding, we sent you and your husband in business class to the Seychelles, we paid for the flights and you know, you can go whenever you want. And she was like, let me talk to him. And she came back and because the flights were almost $10,000 a person, it was like you know $20,000 of value for her. But the cost to me was nothing. The value of the points, you know, if you looked at, you know, the valuations on the internet was probably around at the time, maybe $2,200, which would be a huge discount for, for us. And it ended up working out. And the only thing we ended up paying for was we paid for the hotel room for the videographer to stay in when they came out to the wedding because they, they didn't live in the same state. And, and then we sent her on her trip and she had an amazing trip. 
we have an amazing wedding wedding video to share that cost us you know zero dollars other than a couple hotel rooms. So not only can they be used for your own personal travel, but they can be used for like sort of a barter system with points as well for the things that you want in life. <laughs> that's the that's my goal. Is you know it's this currency that you know I I, I joke, but the points guy put out an app recently. And they actually show your points net worth in the app. You, you know, you sync your accounts and you can see it. And so they actually frame your your points in terms of their dollar value. And you can have, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of points. So, you know, they kind of are a currency. Now, I, I will caveat heavily that you are not allowed to sell them. So, you know, bartering them, I, I maybe maybe a gray area, but selling them is definitely not something that you can do and, and will get you in a lot of trouble with the airlines and, and potentially lose your points. So I would find ways to barter them or just travel for free. I love it. Well, let's talk about how this process works. We've talked about all the good stuff here and all the excitement that you've been able to do with them. Let's help people who have never done this before understand how travel rewards accumulation works. Talk to us about how you've accumulated these points and how it all works. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite topics because I think travel is just so incredible. And the thing that usually gets in the way is the cost. So the fact that there's this system out there that lets you beat that is, you know, probably the core reason I started a whole show about it. So the the general principle is that when you swipe your credit card, there's, you know, some percentage of transaction fees getting charged to various people along the way that account to let's say around two to three percent. And so that money ends up getting paid in, in part to the banks. So if it's a Chase card, Chase is making money. To incentivize you to use that Chase card, so Chase makes that revenue, they offer rewards. And, and all of these different ho- airlines and hotels have partnered with these different credit card issuers to be able to offer their own different rewards programs. And so there's an incentive to swipe your card and earn rewards, and it's almost like free money, right? If you swipe your debit card, you're getting almost um, almost zero back. If you swipe your credit card, you're getting you know two percent if it's cash back, or you know one point here, five points here. So at the core of it. Is that these credit card issuers are making money when you swipe and they're giving you rewards to encourage you to do it. Now, before we go any deeper, I'll just pause and make it really clear that I've never seen someone redeem points at a rate that makes it worth taking on debt to do this. So if you are not paying your credit cards off each month, I would say the number one thing you should be looking for is a 0% APR card it's probably going to pay you zero rewards, but I would I would actively try to pay down those credit cards to get to a zero balance before you even enter the points game because you know any amount of points is not worth the interest that you'd pay. So that's my quick caveat before we get into it. But yeah, so they they all issue these cards and some of them have different, you know, structures. So they might say this card earns you 3 points on groceries or this point earns 3 points on dining, 5 points on travel. And so you know, if you're just getting started, you could get the card that kind of aligns most with how you spend. And if you go deep down the rabbit hole like I have, you're like, well, let's get a card for every category I spend in so that every time I'm shopping, whether it's online or in person, I'm getting the most number of points I can. That makes sense. And then bonuses, that's a big part of this plan. Talk to us about why that's so important and how to reap those rewards. Yeah, so the the biggest challenge for these banks is that once you have a credit card, you kind of just use it and and you don't really think about anything else. So they're all trying to get you to switch from using your Citibank card to your Chase card or to your Capital One card. And so to encourage that, they give these massive sign-up bonuses on some of these travel rewards cards. 
So I think the biggest I've ever seen is like in the 150,000 point range, but it's pretty regular that cards will offer you 60 to 100,000 points to open up a new card. And you know, there's usually an amount of money you have to spend. So I always say, look, make sure that you can rationally, without going above your means, spend the minimum spend because you can only open these cards and get the bonuses once. But you know, some of them are spend $1,500 in three months. And so if you can do that, you might get 50,000 points. And you know, it really depends program to program. But I would say in general, points are kind of worth somewhere in the one to two cent range. So if you're getting a 100,000 point signup bonus, that could be like a thousand to two thousand dollars. And so, you know, in domestically, as an example, most of the airlines, you could probably take a domestic round trip ticket for 25,000 points. So a hundred thousand point signup bonus could take your family of four anywhere in the US. So the signup bonuses, you know, are a real, real big way that I've been able to accumulate a lot of points. And so, you know, I kind of hold out and wait for the big ones, but this probably happens five, six times a year. There's a massive bonus. And that's just kind of a great opportunity to jump on a huge amount of points. We'll be back to the show after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. 
Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. I really like how you pointed out the minimum spending requirement, because I think that's a big indicator for people where you say, okay, am I already spending on my daily spending? Well, call it $3,000 over three months. Can I make that happen? You know, okay, then it makes sense for us to jump on this if we're purely spending on a debit card or something like that and, and, and wanting to transfer over our spending. So I think that's really important. So bonuses, I mean, it seems like it's just a never-ending train. Is there an end to the bonuses after a while? Can you sign up for too many? Obviously, your credit is a factor in all of this. And so I, a surprising thing that I think you know, catches a few people off guard is opening a credit card can actually have a positive impact on your score, which is something I think seems counterintuitive. But credit card issuers are checking your credit for a bunch of things. And I would encourage you to search around for different sites that explain how credit scores are calculated or download the Credit Karma app and you can get some more details. But in general, one of the important factors they're looking at is how extended are you? So if you have one credit card with a $5,000 you know, limit and you're spending $4,800 each month, that to a borrower or to a lender is, is worrisome. That you, you know, You're kind of all maxed out. Now, if you've got another $5,000 card and now you've got $10,000, but you're still only spending $4,500 a month, now they're like, wow, this person is responsible. They're only using 50% of their credit. And that just keeps compounding. So if you got another one, now you're $15,000 of, of limit and you're only using $4,000. Now it's like, well, you're only using 30%. And so that has a huge impact the number of cards has a positive impact. The only two negatives are anytime you open up a card, they ping your credit and they do what's called a hard inquiry. And that knocks you down a couple of points, four or five points or something. And, and it goes off after a year or two. And then the other is they there's a track of the average length of credit. And if you imagine you're trying to decide if you want to let someone borrow money, if you only know how much they've borrowed and spent and saved and paid off in the last year, you're probably less wor- more worried about uh, their spending habits than if you know for 20 years. And so uh, a big important thing I'd say is if you have one credit card and you're listening to this right now and you've had it for 20 years or 10 years and you're like, oh my gosh, this card is earning nothing, don't cancel the card. Because that card is like this you know, statue in your history saying, well, you have 20 years of good on-time payments, all that stuff. So I would say keep that card open. If it has an annual fee and you decide you don't like it, you can often just call or you know, secure message the credit card company and say, hey, I really like this card. The annual fee is tough. Do you have a version I can downgrade it to with no annual fee? And so you know, that United card I opened in college it turns out that to earn United points, there are actually cards that aren't United cards that are even better than a United card. And so, you know, I don't use that United card anymore. So I, I downgraded it to a no annual fee United card. And I try to make sure every year to put a purchase or two on it just so that, you know, it looks like it's active and, and the credit card companies don't close it down because you know, I've got almost 20 years of history on that card and it really helps keep my credit score up. Nicole has had one for, I think, maybe seven, eight years. And we had took that same strategy, like, it's not really that great, but let's not cancel it. So all we do is we throw our Spotify subscription on it. So it's just a recurring payment each month. So she's got the, the history. And I do the same thing with another card that I've had for a long time to keep that history going. So these are great tips for everybody. You know, I'm just wondering, is this a constant train that you continue going on? Do you take breaks every once in a while to sort of re-up yourselves for the new bonuses? Or is it just keep going? Yeah, I mean, I think the where the train stops is or, or takes a break is, you know, there are only so many cards, right? Chase might have 20 cards. And so at some point, you know, you've kind of take gotten all the cards. And I, I'm certainly not there right now. 
But, you know, I kind of, now I'm in the mode of when there's a massive bonus, right? And I'm like, wow, 150,000 points for this new card. I'll jump on that. But there's a ton of cards out there that are 20,000 points here, 40,000 points here. For me, not to say 40,000 points isn't worth it, but I just know that I'm, I don't want to do this every week. I don't want to do this every month. So I'm kind of in the, if there's a huge bonus a couple times a year, I'll jump on it. But if there's not, then I kind of sit by the wayside for a while and, and kind of just use the cards I have and accumulate a lot of my points by spending on the things I'm already going to purchase just in the most optimal way. So I think an important thing is to just take an inventory of how you're spending your money. And if you're spending it all on groceries, then even though some friend or even me on this show says, oh, I think this is the best card, if it's the best card because I spend a lot on travel and you spend all your money on Amazon and Whole Foods, I can tell you the Amazon Prime card is going to be a way better card for you. And the, the travel card might be the worst card because you're not spending a lot on travel. So it really is a personal kind of unique situation to how you spend money. And if there's a category you spend a lot on, picking the card for that category is probably going to be one of the best best ways to earn points. We've talked about your experience. We've talked about how the process works. Let's dive a little bit more into how this stuff goes wrong. So what are some common mistakes that people make when they go about earning travel rewards? Yeah, so I think a couple of them. One, if you don't go check your credit before you get into this, I've had a few people that just their credit wasn't at the point that they could get some of these higher cards. So there's some sites like Card Match and Credit Karma where you know they kind of learn what your credit score is and they recommend some cards. And if your score is kind of pretty low, let's say in the 500s, you're probably not going to get approved for some of the top cards. And so applying for them, taking the credit score hit to, to try to get them and then not getting them is a, is a huge bummer. If you're playing the game and you start opening a lot of cards, getting in a circumstance where you forget to set up auto pay and you miss payments is is a huge pain. And I have been there. Open up a new card, especially if you start to do this with your spouse and you're like, oh, I'm going to open up this card for my wife. It's going to get, she's going to get the bonus. I'm going to get the bonus too, which by the way is another great hack. If there's a huge bonus, you can get it for both of you. But making sure that you don't put a few charges on there and then forget to pay it is a huge pain. I will say I've had 100% success reaching out to the credit card company and saying, hey, I forgot to make this one payment on time. I made it a few days later. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. I've already enrolled in auto pay. Could you help me reverse that fee? And that's, I, that's worked every single time. So that's a big one. Missing the sign-up bonus, spending requirements. You know, you you open this card. It says spend fifteen hundred dollars to get a hundred thousand points. You spend a thousand. You forget to put that next expense on, and you miss out on it. Is another huge one. And then I think if you go too far down the rabbit hole, I know people that are like, "Wow, I don't I don't have a grocery card. I need to get a grocery card, or or even worse, I, I need to get an office supply store card." Because I went to Office Max the other day. And they open up a card that has a $100 annual fee that has really great bonuses on office supplies, but they spend like 50 bucks a year on office supplies. And you know, there's no amount of bonus that you could get that would make up for the annual fee in that circumstance. So I think doing the, the math to make sure that as you add on new cards, the incremental points you're going to get are actually worth that annual fee, which, which is the primary reason I say, hey, if you're doing this, start with one, maybe go to two, Give yourself a year. Make sure you're using it. See how the accumulation's working before you kind of jump into the rabbit hole of getting five, six, seven cards, which, you know, honestly, 
I'm not even sure I should be doing right at this point. I feel like I've got it kind of dialed in. I probably use the same three or four cards. There's probably one or two that I could drop if I really spent the time on it. But fortunately, they're they're kind of either low or no annual fee cards. So it's not a huge drag on my situation. So you have now in your situation, after kind of going hog wild for a while, have aligned the cards that you use to your spending. So you optimize based on your spending. And then when there's bonuses that pop up every once in a while that are quite lucrative, you jump on those. Is that right? Yep. And and for the bonus cards, you know, the goal of the financial institution is to get you to adopt this card as your new primary card. And so, you know, they, they've got medium sophisticated software, I think, to monitor this. So if you go in and it's spend 3000 and you spend 3000 and then the day you get your bonus posted, you call and cancel the card, they're going to probably say, yeah, there's a chance they'll flag you as someone who's just doing this to get the points. So, you know, I'll keep that card open. I'll usually keep it open all the way through the full year, maybe even after the annual fee posts for the second year and then call in and say, oh, you know what? This annual fee is really heavy. And if they say, we'll waive it this year, great. I'll keep it open another year. Like I, I want to give off the impression that, you know, I, I'm trying to make this card work and, I'm, and I spend money on it from time to time. And honestly, if it was a great card, I would just keep it open. So, you know, it's not, you know, I, I, I give every card a fair chance at being a, a good part of my wallet. And there are cards that I, I didn't open for years, like the Amazon card. And then finally I had a kid and lived in a pandemic. And I was like, okay, I'm spending enough on Amazon. I think this makes sense. And now that's become a, a staple of the wallet, despite that I, I hadn't opened it for years. So somebody's listening right now, Chris, and they're thinking, you know what? I don't know. This feels like we're, you know, kind of game in the system or taking advantage of these credit card companies. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I would say that Every time you've looked at a transaction someone's made in front of you in line, some of those people are paying with cash. And when you pay with cash, you know, the, it, it helps out the local merchant, right? They're not paying that 3% fee. So there's that perspective. But when you're paying with your debit card, you're getting nothing. The merchant's paying a fee, might be a little lower, and the bank's making all the money. And I can assure you, it's not like Chase is on the verge of bankruptcy right now, right? You know, these companies are making a lot of money and they keep issuing new cards and offering these bonuses. It's not a new thing that, that you know, just started and it might not go last, right? So this is a business for them. So I, I don't feel a lot of guilt playing by their rules. And the thing that's great about this and, and kind of how I generally think about cheating the system is if there are rules and you follow the rules, it's hard to say you're cheating the system, right? My goal is to play the system as best as possible, right? When I am in a foreign country and there's seven different ways to get from two stations on the subway, I take the most optimal path, right? It's not, I'm not cheating the system. And so in this case, I, I look at the rules of the card. I look at, you know, how much I have to spend, what the requirements are. And I do that. And so I don't feel bad about doing it because I'm, I'm following the rules they set out. And if they didn't want people to sign up for cards like this, they could make a rule that says you can only open one signup bonus from all chase cards every five years, and then I would play by that rule. So I think as long as there's a, a large company behind this that's you know also making their fair share to optimize the system to travel the world for free seems like you know definitely a win for me. And if they don't like that, they'll change the rules because they're a business and you know they're going to operate in their best interests also. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of utilizing tax advantaged investing vehicles. It's like you're going to save on taxes and you're going to pay a lot less taxes. You're just playing by the rules. I mean, it's you're just doing it in a smarter way. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's exactly like that. And as we're seeing right now, there's some proposals in Congress to change those rules. And so, look, if they decide that people over a certain income are no longer allowed to use some of these tax advantage accounts, great. They'll stop using them. But as long as they're open for business, you know, I'm maxing out my tax advantaged accounts. I'm, you know, putting money in FSAs for medical expenses and, you know, dependent care for our au pair and all that kind of thing, which is, which is a hack that I didn't realize, which is if your employer has an FSA for dependent care, you could use that to pay a nanny, babysitters, au pairs, that kind of thing. And so preschool, summer camps, we're doing it too, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize any change, double hack here is any change in your childcare situation is a eligible life event for your dependent care FSA. So normally you can't change your medical plan in the middle of the year unless you have a kid or you get married. But the way I understand it and how I've been able to use it is if anything changes about your childcare situation, if you change preschools, if your nanny quits, if you find, decide to do something different, one of you goes back to work, those are qualifying life events solely for your dependent care FSA, and you can start making changes to those contributions mid-year. So if you're listening and you don't take advantage of that, but you do have childcare expenses, there, there might be an opportunity to make that change now and not have to wait. But I guess, depending on when this comes out, we're kind of right around open enrollment, so maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, this will be out in November, so it would be timely for some folks. Definitely look into that dependent care FSA. That saved our family quite a bit of money. We like to help our kids do summer camps, and that can be pricey. So if we're able to save, whatever, 20% off of that based on the taxes we're paying, why not? So yeah, if you're into optimization, yeah, Chris has got your back. Let's leave people some advice if they want to get started with this travel rewards business. Maybe just getting started with one credit card. What would be your favorite, or I guess how should they start? Yeah, so I'll put it into two buckets. There's the bucket of I want to start accumulating points to travel either internationally or in, in, in a luxurious way. Let's call it business class or hotels. And to do that, I think you get the real value from accumulating miles. And, and to get those miles, you can get them by one airline or my favorite is, is a card like a Chase or a Capital One or a City or a, a Amex that earns points to let you transfer them to different airlines. But if you are out there saying, you know what, my family takes a few domestic trips. We love flying on Southwest. We're not trying to fly business class. We just want to go to Yosemite or Disney World for free next year. Honestly, you're probably going to be better off with the flexibility of cash back. And so if you're in that boat, I would say the city double cash is a great 2% cash back card. And I think it's a great way to get started. On the point side, if you're like, no, you know what? You sold me. I, I, I'm excited. I'm going to go to Paris. We're going to fly in business class. We're going to stay you know, at the Park Hyatt and, and you know, have a luxurious adventure. Going for points is the way to do it. And you know, I think a great starter card, especially now that the world is opening up and we'll probably start spending a little bit more on travel, a little bit more on dining, is one of the Chase Sapphire cards. And so the more entry level is the Sapphire Preferred. I think it's a $95 annual fee and you get two points on travel and dining. I actually think the, the dining bumped up to three points in the last year. So that's a great entry level card. And then the Chase Sapphire Reserve is a little bit more expensive. I think it's at $550 now, but it's a, it's a little bit of a trick because you, know, you get your first $300 you spend on travel reimbursed. So it's probably a $250 card. But you're getting three points on travel and you know, like 10 points on Lyft. And if you book the travel through the Chase portal, it's a 10 points per dollar. So there are a lot of multipliers there. 
They'll give you access to a priority pass, which lets you go to the lounges when you're traveling in, you know, around the country or, or the world. Those two cards I really like. The My Chase Reserve card is the card I carry most. It, it's the I have like a small two-card wallet, and the two cards that are 90% of my spending are the Chase Reserve and the Chase Freedom Unlimited, which is kind of the, the catch-all card that's just one and a half points for everything else. So that's where I'd suggest get started, but I try to keep my list of recommended cards up to date at uh, allthehacks.com slash cards. Excellent. Yeah, check that out, allthehacks.com slash cards. And what Chris just talked about was aligning his cards to his lifestyle. He's a traveling guy, likes to travel, so he's got cards that'll help him to do that. So if you don't travel that much, but you just want to, I guess, get cash back for everyday things you do, see how you're spending your money and then maybe align your card choice to that. I really like your idea around the the city double cash. I think it's 2%, right? So whatever you spend, you get you get 2% back. That's great. I think I've got the Quicksilver. That's 1.5% back, which is nice, but that city double cash is looking pretty good right now. So Chris, if people are looking to learn more from you outside of credit cards and just maybe learning how to optimize their lives in general, where should they go, man? Like Andy said, I run a podcast called All the Hacks. We're helping people upgrade every aspect of their life. So episodes on travel, credit cards, but also negotiating and your career and starting to eat healthy and just thinking about ways to spend and the psychology of money. So you can check it out. You're listening to podcasts right now. So search for All the Hacks in whatever app you're using or just go to allthehacks.com. Excellent, everybody. I've had a chance to be on Chris's show and it's an honor to have him here today. Chris, thank you so much for your time today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love vacations and the only way I could love them more is when they're free or super cheap. (laughs) Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Chris Hutchins. Number one, Align your rewards cards to where you spend most. If you love travel, then your credit cards and the rewards that come from them should help you travel more. If you love buying things on Amazon, then you probably are a candidate for the Amazon rewards card that gives you 3% cash back on all Amazon purchases. Chris's point is if we're going to be spending this money anyway, we might as well be rewarded for these things in the most effective way possible. Number two, look for the bonuses. After finishing my interview with Chris, I was so geeked up about getting back into the travel rewards game that I signed up for the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Visa card with the offer of 100,000 travel points and one free night for hitting the minimum spending requirement of $5,000 over the next three months. Considering we definitely spend this amount over a three-month period on credit cards and with Christmas shopping right around the corner, this one was a no-brainer for us. So we signed up and we're going for it right now. There is a $95 annual fee, but with the free room night, which we're going to be using anyway, it's definitely going to cover that. So I don't think that offer is around anymore because they go really fast, but keep your eye out for bonuses like this that fit your interests and your spending habits. We love Marriott properties, so we love traveling there. That's that's the Starwood properties. That's I mean, they own everything now, pretty much. <laughs> so we love getting our Marriott points, and we fly on Delta because that's a hub here 
in Detroit. So what do you fly with? Where do you like to stay? Maybe those cards would make sense and look for those bonuses along the way. I mean, the reward that I got here, it's going to be worth over a thousand dollars for free and I don't have to pay any taxes on it either. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, number three, don't do this if you're in debt and not managing your money properly. I'm serious, people. Don't make me get all Dave Ramsey on you. (laughs) Credit card debt is the worst. Double digit interest charges are never worth signing up for credit card bonuses or getting points. You will lose this game if you are not paying off your credit card in full every single month. Actually, I pay off my credit cards weekly. That way I don't get confused about how much money I've got in my checking account because it looks bigger than I actually have. Either way. This is not a game you want to play if you're in debt, not living on a budget, and not paying attention to your money. It is a losing game. Credit card companies will win and you will lose. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM, and let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show and to Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on Instagram and Dan Hines for helping us with our YouTube videos. And speaking of YouTube, you can check out most all of our interviews on video. Yes, go to YouTube and type in Marriage, Kids, and Money and hit the subscribe button and check out our growing channel. We have over 4,000 subscribers there now, and that's where you'll find our live version of Bread and Wine. You hear us calling out Carlos every week, everybody. (laughs) That's where Carlos hangs out with us, live on Bread and Wine on Fridays on YouTube. So again, go to YouTube and type in Marriage, Kids, and Money and hit subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. They really need another word for subscribe. Doesn't that sound like it costs money? Anyway, it doesn't. It's free. Anyway, I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Andrew Tobias. You want 21% risk-free? Pay off your credit cards. Enjoy the perks, but stay away from the credit card debt, my friends. Carpe diem!